Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. In today, don't get to sleep in today. Get your Bibles out. Um, we have been uh, trying to get us all on the same page of understanding. As you know, uh, we've been talking about the fact that uh, part of our pursuit must be the pursuit of knowledge and insight. In fact, we've been using uh, Solomon kind of as an example that the father uh, looked down on Solomon and Solomon could have asked for anything. He asked for wisdom and because of that, God blessed him. And so he said to us, I've read this to you every week out of Proverbs chapter 2 because I want this to get down into our spirit so that we understand that we're on this constant pursuit of understanding. He said this, tune your ears to the world of wisdom. Set your heart on a life of understanding. That's right. If you make insight your priority and you won't take no for an answer, searching for it like a prospector, panning for gold, like an adventurer on a treasure hunt, believe me, before you know it, fear of God will be yours. You'll have come upon the knowledge of God. And so he says that like a prospector, like a fortune hunter, a treasure hunter, we should be pursuing understanding. And so we said that there's some understandings that we need to come to as a body and as individuals. We said that the first one was this, found people, find people. That's right. That's the first understanding that we have to be on. We're on this constant pursuit to find people. Then last week we talked about this, saved people, serve people. That's right. We go after people by serving them. In fact, I said it to you like this last week, find people, found people, find people by saved people, serving people. It is our service that causes people to be found and we love them into the kingdom of our Father. So this morning we're going to go one step further. I said to you in week one that Jesus modeled for us our mission. Our mission is found people, find people. Then last week we said he modeled our mode, saved people, serve people. So this morning we want to go one step further because I believe that what Jesus does is he illustrates us and for us and talks to us about not only our mission and our mode, now he deals with our mindset, how we're supposed to think. And so if you will, you can turn to Mark chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read in Mark chapter 4 about four verses of scripture there and then we're going to... Uh, switch over to Luke chapter 13 and read four verses there. Each of these passages that I'm going to read to you are in fact parables that Jesus shared with us. Now he didn't share the entire, I'm not going to share the entire uh, passage. You, you can do a little homework on your own, but I want to read the highlights. So Mark chapter 4 uh, verse 26 says this, Jesus said or he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should cast seed on the earth and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring up and grow. He doesn't know how. For the earth bears fruit, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the fruit is ripe, immediately he puts forth the sickle because the harvest has come. There's a key verse or sentence in there that I'm going to point you to here in a minute. We'll see if you caught it. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 6, says this. Then he told them a story. A man had an apple tree planted in his front yard. He came to it expecting to find apples, but there weren't any. And he said to his gardener, what's going on here? For three years now, I've come to this tree expecting apples, and not one apple have I found. Chop it down. Why waste good ground with it any longer? 
And the gardener said, let's give it another year. I'll dig around it and fertilize, and maybe it will produce next year. If it doesn't, then chop it down. Jesus tells us two parables here that speak to the concept of this new under, or this third understanding that we must have. The, the, the first parable that he shares with us, although it's full of many truths, the one sentence that I want to point you to is the verse, the, this passage here that says this, the kingdom of God is as if a man should cast seed on the earth and should sleep and rise night and day, and right here it is, and the seed should spring up and grow. Get that into your spirit now. I know he's talking about the kingdom of God, but that little sentence there, the seed should spring up and grow, speaks to us as individuals, and it addresses this understanding. Found people, find people, save people, serve people. Here's the third one. Are you ready? Converted people change. He says he's using a very natural illustration to speak to us on a supernatural level. When you plant seed in the ground, there is this change, this conversion process takes place and growth occurs or change occurs and that is true in the supernatural but it also should be true in our natural lives. We should see change and growth. If you are converted, if you are changed, then you should grow or change. I know you all sleepy this morning but stay with me. If we are going to be on the same page, then you've got to understand some things. Not everything's going to stay the same. In fact, some of y'all are still freaked out that I preached before we worshiped. It's easier after the harpist has played to, to, to prophesy and to preach. I understand that. I set myself up for a more difficult time this morning. But I wanted to illustrate to you that there are times when things have to change because if we don't, we get stuck in a rut. There must be change. That would seem to be a very obvious truth. That, that would seem to be an understanding that we would have as believers. However, what I have discovered and the truth that I have come to grips with is this, that most of us are plateau dwellers. We don't like to admit it. We don't like anybody to know it. But the reality for most of us is that we are stuck on a plateau. We, we changed at one moment in our life. We got saved, but now we are stuck. So y'all ain't helping me none this morning, but I know it's true. We get saved. We have this conversion experience, but we're stuck. We, 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 we make this change in our lives. We are challenged to convert, and we make what is, without a shadow of a doubt, the most important and, and, and substantial change in our entire life. We, we exchange, and we change from dark to light. And we change from death to life. And you would think because of that, that we've experienced such an incredible change that that would set us on a path to change for the rest of our life. But the truth is, is that most of us make this great exchange and we experience from death to life and then we want to sit down and never change again. Yeah, I know it's true because I've seen it happen. Our soul gets saved, but we're still mean as a snake. We don't want to change. Our soul is redeemed, but we can't hand, we, don't, we make no change to our mouth. Our, our, our eternal life is secured inside of us because we've had this salvation experience with God, but we won't allow it to change or deal with our appetites. We don't like change. 
we, we allow this encounter we have with Jesus to convert us, and by our confession we are saved, and by the faith that occurs in our heart we're saved. And so we, we experience this conversion, and we allow it to change our, our, our spirit, but we never allow it to change our condition. And there's not enough change. We're kind of like the little girl. You've heard me mention this before. <laughs> we're the, like the little girl who uh, kept falling out of bed, and her daddy came in one night after she'd fallen out of the bed over and over and over again and said, why do you keep falling out of bed? And her response was, I guess I keep staying too close to the getting inside. And a lot of us got in, and then we never moved. Some of us haven't moved an inch. We, we got to know him as Savior, but we haven't learned any more about him. We got to know him as our redeemer, but we never discovered any further truths of the kingdom. We, we've, 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 we've come into this salvation experience, but we haven't followed him in baptism. It hasn't impacted how we live our lives. We don't give any more than we used to give. We don't know any more of the word than the day we met the word. And, and so we embrace this, this salvation encounter, but we fail to understand and come to grips with converted people must change. We should be on a path. We should be on a constant journey of change. It should be one of the, the, the birthmarks, if you will, of a Christian is that we are constantly changing and becoming more like him. Let, let, let me say it like this, and I want you to get this into your spirit because I believe this is true, and I know this is blunt, but I believe it's true. If you are not changing, you are not following. You cannot follow Christ and not change. Every day there should be marked change in your life. I know you are changed from the moment that you got saved and you're not the same person you were before you got saved. But that is not the end all. There should be this daily progression and move of change in your life. And many of you, and myself included, if we were honest and we would look at ourselves in the mirror, we would be able to admit and confess that we haven't changed in a long time. No change equals no following. See, just because God never changes does not mean that he will allow you to remain the same way. We think because we've heard that God never changes, that that gives us a pass that we should never change as well. Only God doesn't change. Everything else changes. Right? Everything else changes. And so we've got to understand that and come to grips with that, that we must change. You can, you can be acquainted with Jesus and not change. You can know about Jesus and not change. But you cannot be one of his disciples, one of his followers, and not change. It's part of the package. We hate change, but it is a necessary part of our relationship with him. See, why? Because seed is supposed to grow. I read it to you out of the parable. Jesus said the seed goes underground, and he didn't say it might grow, or I'd be excited if it every once in a while did grow. He just states it as a fact. Seed is supposed to grow. And so if you know Christ as your personal Savior, and you are in relationship with him, then it is a given that there should be some type of change on your life, in your life on a regular basis. So Jesus goes on, and he follows up the statement about the seed, and he tells us another parable. He tells us the, the parable of the barren fig tree. Now, the passage I read to you out of the message reads it as an apple tree. In the original uh, 
translations, it's a fig tree, doesn't matter. It's a tree, it's supposed to bear fruit, right? And, and, but it's barren, and he reveals out of this parable, in essence, he reveals very, two very important truths to us that we've got to come to grips with. Simple truths, but I think we miss them sometimes, and we overlook them because here's the reality. We are satisfied with where we are. In fact, I've discovered something as, I, as I've gotten older. Change usually is spurred on by being uncomfortable. We won't change until we're uncomfortable, till the pain of the discomfort of staying the same outweighs the comfort of staying the same. We won't change. Y'all didn't get that. that. That's why every so often a little pain comes along in your life, and we, we blame it on the devil or our spouse or on our kids, when the reality is I think a lot of times it's, it's the Lord because he recognizes that as an eagle stirs up his nest, that's the, her nest, that's the only way that he can get us out to, to spread our wings and fly is to make us uncomfortable. In fact, eagles will begin to take the, the, the soft stuff out of their nest on purpose. As the chicks get a little older, they'll read the mama bird and the daddy bird will reach in there and start taking out the cotton and the leaves and, the, and, and make it sharp and there's twigs and thorns so that it becomes so uncomfortable they got to get out. Y'all didn't hear that. Uh, yeah, you're just thinking I'm talking about birds, but I'm talking about you. Yeah, yeah. there are moments that we got to rec recognize that, that God is more committed to our growth than he is to our comfort. We want Jesus to make us comfortable. Jesus never made anybody comfortable. You go back and read it for yourself. You show me one place in Scripture where he made, it. He made everybody mad. He confused everybody. He was constantly stretching them and challenging them. Why do we think now, all these hundreds of years, thousand years after he's off the face of the planet, that now because he's somewhere up there by the Father, that he should make us uncomfortable too? We don't like that, but that's truth. He wants to make you so uncomfortable that you will grow. And so he says this parable, and he reveals to us two things. The first thing he reveals is about us. He reveals that fruit he, he shares with us this principle, fruit reveals growth. I, I want you to get this now. Fruit is the indicator of growth. See, and I, and I bring that to your attention because we don't operate that way. We think gifts reveal growth. If you can sing better than everybody else, then you must be really mature and you must have grown. How many of you have ever met an immature worship leader? Am I the only one? I, and I'm not talking about my wife. I'm smarter than that. I've grown. All right? Ever met an immature? Yeah, because they show up and they're all diva on you. Okay. Just because they're gifted doesn't mean they've grown. I've met gifted teachers that are immature and treat people like trash. I've met, in, I've, I've met gifted preachers that are mean to everybody around them, and then we just call them a prophet. <laughs> yeah. No, they just don't have any people skills, and they lack tact. That's, you can be prophetic and not be a jerk, right? It just means they've got a gift. We, we say gifts reveal. No, it doesn't. We say titles reveal growth. How many of you know that there are a lot of people that have titles that don't have any maturity? I'm trying to help you all this morning. You've got to understand that growth is revealed by the fruit in our life. When we begin to produce fruit, then we can claim growth. Don't come to me and say, I'm the head usher. I'm, I've grown. I'm a grown. No, you're not. 
Just because you've got a title doesn't mean you've grown. Well, I, you don't understand who I am. I've got, I got 92 initials after my name. I, I, I'm Stevie Lee, Ph.D., M.D., L.M.N.O.P., supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. That doesn't mean anything. It just means you're educated. It doesn't mean you're giving off any fruit. Jesus tells this parable and reveals to us that if you want to show that you're growing, then you've got to produce fruit. Fruit, here it is, no fruit, no growth. He goes to the tree and he says, where's the fruit? Where is it at? And he makes this conclusion. If there's no fruit, the tree must be dead. Our growth is revealed, good or bad, by the fruit that is evident in our life. Did you hear that? When you go through the drive-thru, your, your growth level is revealed when they get your order wrong. When your boss treats you bad and how you respond is the fruit that shows whether or not you are growing. When your spouse pushes your very last button, then your response reveals whether you've grown. The second thing he reveals is about our master because what he says out of this passage, what he reveals to us out of this passage is this understanding. Our master mandates growth. Did you get that? Our master absolutely mandates growth. In fact, everything is supposed to grow. Our master expects that a tree that has been loved, a tree that's been nurtured, a tree that's been properly fed will in turn grow. And so he says out of this parable that he doesn't like to waste resources and he doesn't like to waste effort and he doesn't like to put energy on a tree that won't produce fruit. Stay with me now. You are supposed to bear fruit. Now, let me say it like this. If you have not been loved on, and you have not been nurtured, and you haven't been, uh, no, no energy has been spent on you, and no resources have been spent on you, and you haven't been properly fed, then we will give you a pass just like God would give you a pass for a season, and we will try to tend you and spend a little time on you and nurture you back to health. But at the moment that you've been loved on, and at the moment that you've been nurtured, and at the moment that you've been resourced, then there is no excuse for growth, for not growing. And so if you have had adequate care and you've had adequate concern, and you've had adequate resources applied to your life, then it's time to produce. Let me say it like this. If you're planted in good ground, and if you're receiving love, and you're receiving wisdom, and you're receiving the word on a regular basis, then you are expected to grow. See, it's getting real uncomfortable in here right now. Because I, I, I need to ask you some questions. Here's one of them. How much more truth do you need to grow? Well, if the pastor would just give me some more truth, I could probably grow. How much more truth do you need before you start growing? How much more tending do you need? 
How many more handshakes and pats on the backs before you leave church telling you it's going to be okay and you're going to be the greatest thing ever and you're the best little Christian do you need before you actually start growing? How much more effort needs to be applied to your life? How much more fertilizer? <laughs> See, we don't like to talk about fertilizer, but those of you from the Northwest campus will remember that a couple years ago I told you, you're not supposed to fear the fertilizer. Fertilizer is a needed part of growth. So the junk, the mess, the stinky stuff you've been going through, that's supposed to help you grow. How much more of that do you need in your life? How much, prune, how much more pruning do you need? I could just get this cut if they would just leave me alone. Grow. The master mandates growth. He is, see, babies are supposed to grow. You should be more mature now than you were on the first day you came into contact with Jesus. It's real simple, but it's hard because we get stuck. We're plateau dwellers. See, I've discovered this. The master is never going to be happy with us only blooming once. A lot of us bloomed when we were saved and then we became barren and we think because we bloomed once, the master is happy. And what this parable reveals to us is that time and time again, the master intends to come back and get new fruit on a regular basis. See, in fact, let me just get really blunt with you. The Bible says out of this parable that the master will cut you down if you don't grow. Wow. We don't like that. In fact, what I read out of this in my own spirit said this, is that a lot of us are still hanging out in the vineyard acting like a fruit-bearing tree, and we still expect to get all the nurturing and the care and the attention and the resources and the energy because we're hanging out with people that are bearing fruit we assume that we are and then all of a sudden the master comes alone and cuts us down and ignores us and it bothers us and we get mad and we don't understand why just because just because you're parked because you're standing in a garage that doesn't make you a Corvette any more than standing in a vineyard or sitting on the same pew or hanging out in a church where there are people blooming and growing and maturing makes you fruitful. you got to grow. And what he says is if you don't, you, you will be cut off. And, and, and I hear it all the time. Well, they ignored me today. They didn't pay any attention to me. Well, maybe they determined that you're not good ground. Maybe the father has said quit spending all your attention and all of your energy on them because they're not producing any fruit and let's ignore them for a little while and see if after that it will spur them on to grow so that it will gain your attention. If you want my attention, show fruit. See, those of you that work with other people know exactly what I understand. Some of you are looking at me like you don't understand that. But what we've discovered, I know Woody and I have had uh, discussions about this. You can give all your resources to people that will never produce any fruit. That's not wise. That's wasteful. The master doesn't do that. And so we have to make, we, have, we can spend our time with everybody or we can invest it on people that will show fruit. But isn't it always those that don't ever produce any fruit that are always wanting all the attention? See, I, I, I wasn't even going to go here, but I'm just, I just feel like 
ought to be kind of blunt. Can I just tell you, I'm going to try to be careful here. Can I just tell you that, okay, I'm just going to say it how I feel it, all right? I'm battling here. Because we can grow a church like most of the other churches I've ever been a part of, or we can actually grow a church that is accomplishing God's will. What I've discovered in most of the churches that I've ever attended or worked in is that there are a lot of people, we talk, Woody called them parasites because he's meaner than me, but uh, <laughs> they come and they suck the life out of the body. They want all the pastor's attention. They want all the, the, the leadership's attention. They want all the pastoral care. They want all, you got to help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And they consume all the energy and resources, and they never produce any fruit. And then when you don't give them that, they get mad. And they either create a stink or they leave, which if you had to choose the two, okay. No, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying that uh, if you're going to build a healthy vineyard that's going to produce fruit, wouldn't you, sp- come on, wouldn't you invest your, mo- your energy and your time with those that, look at your neighbor and ask them this question, are you fruity? <laughs> See, some of you came to conclusions about that before you ever ask. All right. <laughs> See, we bought this lie. Let me tell you there's this lie going around that I, that I need to dispel and, and, and come against right now. There's this thing going around, especially in Christendom, but in the whole world, and people look at you and say, don't you judge me. And we're, we're the worst about it in the, in, the, in the body of Christ. Don't you judge me. That's a lie. The, in fact, we are instructed to judge. You know what we're supposed to judge? Fruit. I don't know if y'all know this, but y'all ain't nothing but a bunch of fruit checkers. You are, you are a produce checker. You are supposed to be judging each other's fruit so that you can help one another grow. I'm looking for some fruity people. Have you grown? Are you growing? And does your fruit prove it? Would the master be pleased with your fruit and if the answer is no then you are soaking up and sucking up resources that he would rather place elsewhere he will give you a season and try his best to get you to grow but wake up there's an end to the season and at the end of the season he will chop Jesus modeled our mission Remember, found people, find people. He goes after Philip. He goes after the woman at the well. He didn't just talk about finding people. He actually found people. Jesus modeled our mode. He didn't just talk about serving people. He literally took the towel, placed it over his arm, tied on the apron, kneeled down and washed the disciples' feet. But I also think that I can prove to you that Jesus modeled our mindset. Jesus grew. Let me see if I can draw this to your attention. I've used these passages before, but they've hit me in a different way over the last couple weeks. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 states this. Jesus grew in stature and in favor with God and man. So I asked myself this question as I read that verse of the scripture again. Does that mean that Jesus became more God as he got older? No. No. He didn't become 
more God as he got older, but he grew. Uh, let me see if I, I think I can prove it to you, all right? Just stay with me now. I'm going somewhere. Do you remember when Jesus was 12 years old, the Bible says that Jesus' parents lost God? It doesn't say it just like that. It just says that they were leaving Jerusalem and Jesus stayed behind and they got three days away and then recognized. Right? See, we're still going to worship. Y'all are freaking out. We're still going to worship. It's a change, I know. They left, didn't know Jesus was gone. Three days later, they make their way back looking for him. And you remember, do y'all remember this account? The Bible says that Jesus, as a 12-year-old, was sitting in the temple. Now, I need you to go back and read it for yourself so I can prove this to you. Don't take my word for it. Go back and find it yourself. The Bible says, I never read it quite like this. Jesus was asking the religious leaders questions. Am I right? Okay, nobody, nobody discounts what I'm saying. Jesus was asking the religious leaders questions. And the Bible says this. He confounded them. They were amazed by what he was saying, right? No greater wisdom ever we found. It's unbelievable, right? Okay. But what I noticed for the first time is this. He confounds them, but there's no change. I didn't read anywhere in the account that any of them dropped on their knees and began to worship him and said, you're, the, you're God, you're the Messiah, you're the King. He just confounded them. Stay with me now. When he's 33 or 30, he shows up on the scene and he now, he's not asking questions. They're asking questions of him. And, here's the growth. Notice, now he doesn't confound them. He makes them mad. And the greatest indication of growth is this. When he begins to teach, one of the religious leaders by the name of Nicodemus comes to him and says, what do I have to do to be born again? So something occurred in Jesus' life to where he sits in front of religious leaders and he asks them questions. And yes, his wisdom astounds them, but no change is accomplished. But now, all these years later, 18 years later, he shows up on the scene and now he teaches and he doesn't just confound them. He produces change in somebody's heart for eternity. Something occurred. What occurred? He grew. Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. He grew. In stature means he grew up physically, but he also grew in favor with God and man. He increased, he grew, he matured, he had the ability evidently to communicate more effectively to the point that when he used to just make them mad or just confound them, now he makes them mad and he causes the greatest growth moment of their life. He causes them to change. In fact, he's grown to the point that when he begins to talk about the kingdom of God, people literally turn their back on everything they've ever known and follow him. And not only follow him, but they are willing to lay their life down. I don't know what that is to y'all, but to me that's, that's growth. Jesus not only talked about growth, he modeled growth. So we should follow suit. If Je- Get this in your spirit now, and I'm almost done. If Jesus grew... And Jesus changed. Then why are you still like you were when you got saved 25 years ago? Converted people.
people change. In fact, the word conversion, it indicates change. Okay, I just want to make sure you know that. So here's the challenge. If we've been changed, if we've been converted, then we must change. You know, what I've come to grips with is that people were probably astounded that you made the decision to be converted. But the real challenge is this. How many of them are astounded now by the change they've seen in your life since then? And is that change so strong that it causes them to recognize they need to change? I'll close with this. What needs to change in your life? There was an elderly lady by the name of Adele. She turned up missing. This is a true story. It occurred in Worcester, Massachusetts. <clears throat> she just showed up missing one day. And uh, she had some good neighbors. Her neighbors recognized that something was wrong. They hadn't seen her in a while. And so they called the police. The police made contact with Adele's brother. And Adele's brother said to them, she went to a nursing home. And so the police dropped it. And the neighbors being good neighbors that they were, they just begin to watch her property. Uh, what happened is that uh, a guy named Michael Crowley noticed that her mail that was always delivered through a slot in her door began to pile up and begin to come back out with the slot. And so he went and opened the door just a little bit, just pushed it open, happened to be open. He pushed it open, and he pushed it off to the side so it wouldn't fall out anymore. And he notified the post office, hey, she's in a nursing home. You need to redirect her mail. So they stopped delivering. Her next-door neighbor uh, had a grandson that she decided, you know, for a couple of 10 bucks a month, 10, 10 bucks at the first of the month, and 10 bucks at the middle of the month. I'll send him over there because her grass, Adele's grass is getting really high, and she, she's not here to take care of it. So I'll just send my grandson over there. And so over the period of time, she just had her grandson begin to just mow the yard for her, just to make it, you know, just take care of the property. One day, this, this young kid was mowing the yard, and he recognized that there's a leak coming out from under the house. It had been cold and icy and so the, the pipes must have burst and there, there's water running out from under the house and so they call the utilities company and get it cut off. She's at a nursing home don't worry about it but just get it cut off so it won't ruin her property. Four years go by and the city comes to check on the property because they're afraid that it's a health hazard with it, it's kind of beginning to fall a little bit and they just want to and they push open the door and they find her body and, and the medical examiner studies and discovers that she's been dead for four years. The outside of her house was still maintained. But death was on the inside. And if we're not careful, what happens is once we're converted, if we don't take stock of our lives on a regular basis, what happens is we keep the outside cleaned up. Because that's what Christians do. But death has taken root again inside of us. And death begins to grow in us. And it, deals, it, it, it overtakes our, our attitude and our appetites. And our, the way we handle people. And how we handle those we love. And we don't let anybody know it. But when we walk in these doors, the house looks good. The perfect example is our house. Front yard looks nice. But you ought to see our backyard. I pull all the weeds in the front flower bed. All I got is weeds in the back flower bed. And every week, many of you pull up in this parking lot 
and your front garden looks great. But deep down inside of you, there hasn't been any change. You changed just enough to get by. And what I am saying to you is that we have to come to this understanding. Converted people should change. Your attitude should be different now. You should treat people better. You should give differently now than the day you first met Jesus. Father, this morning challenging message about change, I pray that your Holy Spirit would hit a square between the eyes and we would understand that we must change. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we as believers, I, I have no doubt in my mind this morning, Father, because if they're here, after losing an hour of sleep, then they probably are in relationship with you. But Father, I pray you would challenge us this morning that knowing you one time and blooming once is not enough. Challenge us to grow. Challenge us to change. Let our attitudes, our mindset, our appetites become more like you. I pray this in Jesus' name. We're going to worship this morning. And what I would like to ask you to do as we worship is to do some self-examination, do some fruit check, and see, am I changing? You are never called to be the same, ever again. You're supposed to change. I want you to stand with me and would you worship and allow the Holy Spirit to change you today. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.